Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are through our site. This message comes from our Broverb series, where we are learning what God's Word says about being a man in today's world. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. I'm so glad you're here today. Say hello to someone beside you. Say, hey, what's up? Okay, some of you, that was awkward because you don't know the person beside you, but you do now, right? So maybe after church, you guys can hook up for lunch. We're glad that you're here today. I want to welcome both of our campuses. If you're worshiping with us at LaGrange or here at our Noonan campus, I want to say welcome to you. We are one church in multiple locations. You know, we're praying now about further locations. We believe God may want us to expand our vision to other cities here in South Atlanta, and we're very, very excited about that. So welcome. Glad you're here today. If you are a father, raise your hand. Okay, awesome. You just, you just showed me your superpowers, right? We just sang that song about superpowers. You just showed me your superpowers because you admitted that you're a dad, right? And the whole fact that you're a dad and you're here today means that you believe God wants to do something great in your life. So I want to tell you, if you're a dad, maybe you don't come to church a whole lot. I want you to be encouraged today. In fact, I believe you're going to be encouraged today. I believe that God has a message for you because all week long as a dad, I'm a dad, God's really been taking me to some new places in my life. And I'm very, very excited to be able to share uh, the third uh, week of this series that we're doing. We're doing a series called Proverbs, okay? And some of you go, what is the whole Proverbs Like, it is about how does God want us to live as men? What is the wisdom that God wants for us as men? Because there's a lot of bros in here, right? I mean, there is a lot of bros in here. And I look at you and I see the greatness that's in this room. God has phenomenal fathers and men who are in this room. And so I'm so glad that you're here today. So we're talking about proverbs. And the last couple of weeks, we've been doing some funny things to kind of help us understand this. And whether you know this or not, there's a website called the Bro Code website. And we've been talking about the Bro Code, right? And so I thought today it would only be fitting to share some of you some of the most meaningful codes from Bro Code, right? Because you need to understand this. So Bro Code number 177. This is how guys think. If a bro dies while lifting weights, the other bro shall add more weight to the bar before dialing 911. That's totally a bro move right there. Like, bro, if they see that I'm only benching 200 when they come get my body off the bench, everyone's going to think I'm a wimp, okay? Put at least 350 on there. Bro code number 157. A bro doesn't get lost. He merely finds an alternate route. Can I say here an Amen. Are we lost? No, we're not lost. I'm just finding a new way. All right, so I say that all the time. Bro code number 119, when a bro wants to do something stupid, first you try to talk the bro out of it, and if he still wants to do it, you film it. (laughs) And that's how YouTube got started, all right? Bro code number 41, bro shall go camping once a year or at least start a fire. Bro code number 116, a bro will always watch a movie narrated by Morgan Freeman. I don't know what it is about Morgan Freeman's voice. I have the Waze app, and I chose Morgan Freeman as the app. So as I'm going down the road, I hear these words when he sees a police officer, clear and present danger. And I'm like, yeah, that is so bro code right there, right? Bro code number 59, when executing a high five, a bro is forbidden from intertwining fingers. Men, it's like this. 
Not like this, okay? If a bro reaches out and intertwines the fingers, you're to remove your hand immediately, all right? And then the last one, and I just think this one's funny, and if you do this, I'm sorry, but it's just crazy. Bro, bro code number 43, a bro never wears socks with sandals. <laughs> so I hope you're ready today. We're going to have a great time. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 11. This is going to be one of my favorite messages of the whole series, 1 Chronicles chapter 11. So the other day, Tracy and I, we were out running together and we were, you know, a lot of times we, uh, we share different things and we talk a lot, but a lot of times we just listen to music. But for some reason that day, her iPod had broken. She has one of those little shuffles and we're running down the road and and she said, hey, uh, my music's broken. Can I borrow your music? I said, absolutely. And so I handed her my little shuffle and she put it on and she hooked it up and she started listening to music. And in about, a, about 40 minutes into the run, you know, we're finishing our run up and everything. And she's got this scourly look on her face. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I've been listening to your music. And I said, are you depressed? And she said, no. She said, I want to punch a wall. And it just made me realize guys are so different than women, okay? Now listen, when I'm running, I don't listen to Air Supply, all right? I don't listen to Sugarland. I don't listen to songs that make me want to, okay, I don't do that, okay? Like, I am, I am thunderstruck when I run, right? Like, I am running, and, and it just made me realize guys are so much different than girls. And, and a lot of times we don't understand that guys have this sense in us that we want to be mighty, right? Like when we run, we want to hear that, that song in our head. Or when we work out, you know, we, we probably don't work out to, I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. Okay. We're not listening to that in our head. We're listening to this thing of, dude, put five more pounds on. Cause I'm probably going to like blow this thing through the roof. Okay. That's how guys think. Every guy in this room wants to be mighty. And I believe every guy in this room has this thing that, that you want to use the strength that God has given you for something great. And so I started asking this question this week. What makes a man mighty? And what sets him apart? What really sets us apart as men? Because in this generation, in this culture we live in, there's a lot of things that the world tells us if you do this, you will be set apart. But when the Bible talks about being mighty... It really could be interchanged with the word elite. What does it mean to be elite? The word elite means to be set apart. The other day I was in the, the, uh, the airport and, and I saw this student come right in front of me and he had just come back, it looked like from a baseball tournament, right? He looked very exhausted like he'd slept in the Hampton Inn for six days and had a ball cap on and he had on this t-shirt and all it said across the front was elite. And I said, that's it. I believe every man wants to be mighty. I believe every man wants to be set apart and every man really wants to be elite. The truth is every person wants to be elite, but there's something in guys that we want to be elite. We want to be mighty. And I ask you this question today. What is it that sets a man apart? Is it power? Is it money? Is it the car he drives? Is it the clothes he wears? I really began to think about this in my own life. And, and in my own life, I had to like look inside and say, at the times in my life when I feel elite or I feel like I'm being the mightiest in my life, what is the one deciding factor? And for me, I came back to one word, conviction. Conviction. What is Conviction. It's a strong belief that a person has that causes you to engage in an action. 
right? The idea that I have this belief about something and I act upon it. Now, I've seen some of you at college football games, you have strong conviction about your football game, all right? Because in church, if I said, okay, we're gonna do the wave right now, some of you'd go, whoa, I'm so embarrassed by that, I've never stand up. But I've seen some of you at a college football game and when it's time for the wave, there's something convicting in you that, that calls out to this large elephant or these war eagles or, or these bulldogs and you stand to your feet and you cheer because you're convicted by your football team. You see, that's one way to look at it, but the truth is this, all of us have something that we believe in strongly in our life. And what we believe in enough, we eventually act upon. So today I wanna tell you a story about some guys who had some conviction. See, when I was growing up, there was this cartoon. My brother used to make me watch it all the time. His name was Popeye. Y'all remember Popeye? Yeah. Okay, he ate spinach. Like he squeezed the can. I've tried to do that. It just doesn't work for me. I'm that, that strong. But, but Popeye, he used to, he, he was a great person of conviction. And here's why, because something would happen that was unjust or unjust or whatever, and, and Popeye would say these words every time he would get so mad that the conviction would rise up in him. He said, I, here, here's the way he would say it. He said, I've had all I can stands, and I can't stands no more. And then suddenly his muscles would just go boom, and he would like tear the place apart. Well, I want to tell you a story about a group of men, and it's real. Because a lot of times we read the Bible like, hey, that's a really good story, but it's real. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, we know this story in the Bible as what's known as David's mighty men. And what these men did and why they did it is very intriguing because I think there's some secrets about their life that as men, we can put into the bro code of our life that could make us mighty and probably make us elite. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 10, 15 years since Saul's death, David had been anointed king. Y'all know King Saul, right? He was the one that was tall and everyone measured him because they thought he was strong. And the problem is he was strong in and of himself. He basically said, all the armies that come against the people of God, I've got enough strength, I can do this on my own. And he even began to make sacrifices to God, even though he wasn't a priest. And so the Bible says God kind of got tired of Saul's leadership. And so he called and anointed David to be king over his people. But in the midst of all that, David had to wait. In fact, there were many, many years after God had told David, you're going to be king, that David had to wait. And when Saul found out about David, what did he want to do? He wanted to kill him. He wanted to take his life. He threw spears at him. And so David waited until one day God had had enough and he took Saul's life in a battle. And then 15 years after that battle, we begin to read this moment in scripture. And here's what's crazy. When you look at David's life, you ask this question, why did he have mighty men? Here's why he had mighty men. Because long before he was ever king, there was a moment in his life that people came in, they defiled the armies of God. His name was Goliath. And these men had probably witnessed the moment that, that brought David one of his greatest moments of his life when he slayed a giant simply because the giant came and defiled the army of God. He defied the name of God. So these men probably had witnessed this. Why did they follow him? Because they had seen David do mighty things. 
And so today I want to talk to you about this. And, and sometimes when you read this thing about this group of men and you ask the question, what made them elite? Here's what you're probably thinking, the same thing I'm thinking. I'm not elite. I'm not like these guys. Sean, you don't understand. I've taken a personality profile and it says I'm an introvert. <laughs> you don't understand. I took Myers-Briggs and I'm like every alphabet on that thing. Okay, I don't have the personality like like somehow psychologically we think if you have the right psychological profile that that's what makes you mighty, but it's not. It's really the conviction they had in their heart. In fact, when you go back and study these group of men, I want to tell you two things that ought to give every man at Lagrange and Noonan some really good hope today. The first one is this: they were different. These men were different. They came from all different types of backgrounds. They were a diverse group of men. You couldn't look at all them and say, they all came from this one family and they all came from this one high school or they all came from this one training of war. The Bible says of all of these men, they came from such a diverse group that you couldn't put your thumb on them and say, oh, they're great because of this, because of whose kid they are. In fact, if you study more about these, these men, you realize that they were such a diverse group of men, they literally had no pedigree about their life. Which I just wanna say really gives hope for me because sometimes I look at my lineage and I go, man, I have a great family, but I don't know that I came from like somebody that like could tear up a battleship. And so there's hope for you today. They, they were different. You know what else about these men that's true? They were difficult. They were difficult What does it mean they were difficult? The Bible says of these men that they had followed King Saul and they had seen Saul's ways and they had been so broken by the fact that Saul put himself above what God wanted him to do that they literally began to defect from the armies of Saul and they had become real disengaged and disenfranchised and, and disenchanted with the ways of Saul. And they were like, somehow I believe God wants more. So they were difficult. They had kind of left The status quo. In fact, I want to make this statement to you today. Men, if you're going to change the world and be mighty, you're probably going to change the world when you decide to change and challenge the status quo. You say, does God want me to challenge the status quo? Yeah, I think he does. I think the heart of a leader says, if this is the way our world is and it doesn't match up to what God wants, I need to challenge that because I want what God wants, not what the world has for me. They were difficult men. They came from troubled backgrounds. If you study their lives, they weren't angels. They weren't Sunday school attenders. They were probably the men that you would look at and say, if God could use them, he could certainly use me. Look at their mess. Look at my mess. They were difficult. But here's what I love. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You see, that's why I feel like these men and myself may have some great things in common. I came from a very diverse background. I came from difficulty in my life, but the truth is no matter what you've gone through, men, God wants to use you greatly. If you believe that, say amen. God wants to use you greatly. No matter how difficult it's been in your past, right? We said it a couple weeks ago. Man wants to measure your past story. God wants to measure your future glory. 
And he sees you through the lens of, that's a man that if his heart is completely bent towards me, he can be mighty. He can be elite. So we see these elite group of men who wanted to follow David and they wanted to do great things for David. So why were they elite? Here's why they were elite. Because of their exploits. What is an exploit? They did things. You know, I started thinking about this. Talk is cheap, isn't it? Have you ever, you got friends, guys, who are talkers? Like they've always got a story. They've always got a one-up the story. Like if you catch a five-pound bass, they got to catch a seven, right? And like, then they probably let a 12-pounder go. They were being so humanitarian. But guys, listen, you know what made them elite? They actually did it. And I just want to say in a world where anybody can say anything on social media and make themselves into something that they're not, God's looking for men who will be willing to do great exploits for his name. And that's why this story is so important to us. So if you have 1 Chronicles chapter 11, starting with verse 10, you can pull it up on your smartphone. Reminder, you can follow us on the Bible app. You go to the events page and follow us there. Starting with verse 10, this is gonna be a cool journey, so I hope you hang with us here. These were the chief priests of David's mighty warriors. They, together with all of Israel, gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. And this is the list of David's mighty warriors. Now, here's the cool thing. Some of these guys have some crazy names, okay? So as we say them, some of you want to laugh. Like, dude, if I had a name like that, I'd have to become mighty too, all right? So listen what he says. Jash Hohoabim, the Hackmanite. Now, I just want to say this. If you're a warrior and your name is Hackmanite, sounds like you have a hatchet, right? I'm going to hack somebody up. And that's what he says. Jehoshabim, the Hackmanite, was chief of the officers. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed in one encounter. Now, the crazy thing in Scripture is we don't always see what was going on behind the scenes. I mean, did they literally come up to him one at a time and he slayed them? All we know is this. It was one to 300. And the dude steps in and he kills all 300. Listen what else. Verse 12. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Hoyite, one of the three mighty warriors. He was with David at Pastamim when the Philistines gathered there for battle at a place where there was a field full of barley. The troops fled from the Philistines. But look what it says in verse 14. But they took their stand in the middle of the field. They defeated it, or excuse me, they defended it and struck the Philistines down and the Lord brought about a great victory. So here's the picture. The Philistines come into this place of barley. The the people of God come in and all of the other guys run, except for this guy. And the Bible says he stood when everyone else ran. Now there's an interesting point right there, right? You know what mighty men do? They stay. They stay. Listen, some of you are in marriages right now. You say, I would be better off if I left. No, you'd be better off if you stayed. You see, you've got children in your life and you say, well, my kids won't notice if if somehow I just leave. No, 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 your kids will notice. Listen, mighty men stay. The Bible says that this guy, they stay. Look at verse 15. This one's even cooler. Three of the 30 chiefs came to David uh, to the rock at the cave Abdullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephim. 
At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. In other words, hey guys, I'm thirsty. And he remembered what it was like to go drink the water at this place. And he just mentioned it to these mighty men. Verse 18, so the three broke through. The Philistine lines drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord. God forbid that I should do this, he said. Should I drink the blood of these men who went and risked their lives? Because they risked their lives to bring it back. David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of three mighty men. In other words, mighty men are the type of men that are willing to risk a lot. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Verse 20, Abishai, the brother of Johab, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed and so became as famous as the three. And he was doubly honored above the three and became their commander. And even though he was not included among them, these guys were warriors. I mean, look at this guy, verse 22. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzil, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was five cubits tall. Although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand, Benaniah went against him with a club. In other words, the odds were stacked against him, right? And he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and he killed him with his own spear. Wow. Okay, now I've been in a few fights before. <laughs> the dude went and grabbed his spear. Hey, give me your spear. I'm like, mm. okay, that's just the vision I have. Okay, threw down the club. Verse 24, such were the exploits of Benaniah, son of Jehoda. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors and he was held in greater honor than any of the 30, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Oh yeah, David, you better put a dude like that in charge of your bodyguard. So here's the question. Why did God in his word tell us the story of these men? Because here's the truth. If you read on, there were actually 30 to 37 men listed in the Bible known as David's mighty men. Here's what we know. There were many more mighty men who didn't even make the list. But why did God want us to see these men? I've asked that question a lot. Why why did God want me to see them? And, And really, what made them elite? If you have a pen, I want you to write a couple things down. See, God doesn't want us to live for honorable mention. As a man, God wants you to surrender your life to him in such a way that he can use you to do great things. He doesn't want you to just live for honorable mention. You see, that's part of the problem in being a man in our culture. A lot of men just say, well, I'm just going to settle in this place where I am and I'm just going to take up oxygen and grow my 401k and, and, and I'm just going to kind of let it happen. I was on the plane the other day and Tracy and I were trying to share Christ with this lady who was beside us and we began to talk to her and she began to tell us about her faith, about how she loved the Lord and wanted her grandkids to know Christ. And then all of a sudden she said, I'm a part of a movement called the Duns. I said, the Duns? I said, I've heard of the nuns. Those are people who have no religious affiliation. She said, oh, no, no, I'm a dun. She said, we're in our mid-60s and we're just kind of done. 
And so I went on the internet. There's an actual group of people, religious people, known as the Duns. The idea that somehow we get to 55, 60 years of age and we cool the jets. And we're just going to hang out here and wait to die. Listen, men, I want to tell you, if you're over the age of 55, God does not want you to live for honorable mention. You say, well, Sean, 50, 60 years of my life is over. No, no, no. 50, 60 of your lives have prepared you for now. And God doesn't want you to retire. He wants you to refire. Because what the world doesn't need right now is a bunch of duns. The world needs some mighty men. You may be here in this room and you say, Sean, I'm just done. No, I want to tell you something. You're not done until Jesus says you're done. And I pray I never grow to the point in my life where I just settle for honorable mention. You know why else I think he wants us to see this? Because it's really not about the mention. It's about the mission. It's about the mission. God wants to use every man in this room to do something great for his name. And he wants us to engage in his mission of changing the world one relationship at a time through the love of Jesus Christ. You see, if you only live for the mention, you may miss the mention. You may miss the mission. Some man's going, man, if I could just get my name in the paper. If I could just get my name. No, no, God wants more than your name on a list. He wants your name on the mission. So what were the characteristics I'm going to give you just a couple. If you want to write these down, it's great. What were the characteristics that made these men elite, and how do they reflect back to you and I? Here it is. Number one, mighty men fight for a cause greater than themselves. You see, when David became king, the first thing he prayed was these words. God, I can't believe that you've allowed me to become king. And then he said these words. Go back and read it. It's in 1 Chronicles and in 2 Samuel. He basically said, I can't believe you've allowed me to become king. And then he said these words. And God, I want to spend my life not building my own kingdom, but I want to do it for your namesake. Because your name being great is more important to me than my name being great. You see, what makes a man mighty is when a mighty man fights for a cause greater than themselves. So what did these men do? When they saw David and they saw God's hand all over him, you know what they did? They aligned their heart to the vision. And they began to pursue what was on the heart of the king and what was on the heart of God. But to do that, you know what they had to do? They had to let go of their own agendas. Men, if you want to do something great for God... Lay down your own plans, lay down your own agendas, and let God put a dream in you that's greater than yourself. God put a dream in me that's greater than myself. I want to see thousands of people call upon the name of Jesus. I want to I impact a culture and change a generation. I don't want to come preach a message on a Sunday morning. I want to impact a culture and I want to change a generation. You say you're a fool. No, I'm no fool because I think a guy, he was a missionary years ago. He said that he says he is no fool. He gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I want to tell you, every man in this room, if you will find a cause greater than yourself and you will give your life to it, you will be amazed at what God will do with your life. That gets me fired up. 
Because I don't know about you, I don't want to give myself away to small things. Every man, listen, God's got big plans for you. Big plans. Your children are those big plans. Your call on your life are those big plans. They had a cause greater than themselves. You know what else was crazy about these men? Mighty men go first and they leave last. Every time we read about them in scripture, they were going into a battle. They weren't waiting for a letter that said, hey, would you please come join us? (laughs) They weren't even waiting for a call from stage. Every time you see these guys, it says they saw and they went. Let me tell you what will make you mighty as a man. Ask God to show you what he wants you to do and just go do it. Oh, they were mighty because they went first. In fact, the Bible says that many of them stayed till the last person was killed on the battlefield. In other words, they didn't delegate it to somebody else. (laughs) Remember what I said? They were mighty because they had great exploits. You know what else made these men mighty? They were mighty because they came equipped. We know that from history that they had unique skills. Some of them were skilled in weaponry. Some of them were blacksmiths. Some of them were great innovators. Some of them were great businessmen, great thinkers. But whatever God had gifted them to do, they brought it to the table and they basically said this, God, whatever gifts I have, I wanna use them for your cause and I wanna fight for your namesake. I wanna tell you, every man out here, you're gifted. God's giving you skills and abilities and you say, did God ever use those for his kingdom? Listen, God's waiting for you to give them to him so he can use them for his kingdom. Some of you say, well, I just, man, I'm just leading a small group of fourth graders. No, you're not. You're training an army. Well, I'm just gonna lead a, a group of ninth grade girls. To, you know, a lady says, I'm just gonna take a group of 12th grade girls and disciple them for a year. You know, nothing big. No, 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 you don't understand. You're shaping the next generation. What has God equipped you with and what does he want you to use it for? You know the other thing I saw? Mighty men leverage their influence to lead others. We read in the story that these men had men who followed them. They were leaders of leaders. Every man in this room, you've got influence. And God wants you to leverage that influence to take the people that you know and the people that you influence and lead them for his kingdom. And then I love this. This is one of my favorites. Mighty men never let the king fight alone. The Bible tells us earlier on in 2 Samuel 21, there was a moment that David went into battle and he was fighting one of those fierce battles and the mighty men were kind of out doing other things and suddenly David's life was almost taken. In fact, they basically said he was surrounded and about to be killed. And look what it says in 2 Samuel 21, 17. But Abishai, son of Jeruai, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. And then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with a battle to a battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. You will never fight alone, David. I want to ask you a question. Who are the men, the leaders in your life that God says you need to go fight with that person? Because I tell you how most men feel in this room, isolated. And when you're isolated, the enemy has you exactly where he wants you. These men made the decision, we're never gonna let you fight alone. You know, that's bro code number 264. It came out of the movie Top Gun, right? Never leave your, never leave your, (laughs) 
Never leave your wingman. Who is it that God wants you to be beside? You see, in our life, here's what I think, and we're gonna close. I think God gives us moments that have the potential to become great exploits for his name. I mean, what God's really waiting for is not for the right opportunity. He's waiting for you and I as men to see what he sees and step into the moment. The problem is to do that, men, you have to reject passivity. You have to reject it. I want to tell you a story before we close. This week, I buried a good friend. This time last Sunday, when I was preaching on this stage to you about John the Baptist, the person in my life who had been most like John the Baptist was killed. He died instantly on his farm, an accident, a very tragic accident. I got home last Sunday afternoon. I started getting phone call after phone call, phone blown up. He was about five years older than me. He had played a huge part in mentoring me in the ministry, discipling me. Eight weeks ago, he sat with me right over there and came to worship here at Southcrest. Two years ago, you as a church helped support his efforts to do earthquake relief in Nepal. And we gave thousands of dollars to help pastors on the ground. And we showed a video from his ministry called Thirst No More. And when I went to his funeral on Thursday, I was listening to my former pastor share about his life who he had actually helped to lead him to Christ when he was 17. I was reminded of all the mighty things that he did. And I had this one question. Why was he mighty? Craig, when he met Jesus, became radicalized by love. And he made a decision about 10 years into his ministry that he could either sit around and just kind of be average or he could step out and go to places that nobody else ever wanted to go to because he had been so radicalized by Jesus. And to be radicalized by Jesus is to be radicalized by love. There would be many times he would call us and say, pray for me, I'm going to this war zone. Pray for me, we're going to Sudan. The government of Sudan took away two and a half million dollars of his drilling equipment. Threw him out of the country and put him on the Al Jazeera watch list. And as we stood over his funeral that day, I thought how many thousands of people have said yes to the name of Jesus because a guy like Craig went when nobody noticed And his why was this, I've been radicalized by love. You see, in our culture, we are talking a lot about people who've been radicalized. Last Sunday morning, we woke up to the devastation of Orlando, where a man walked in and he was radicalized by hate. How different would that scenario have been if the Pulse nightclub would have had a man walk in who had been radicalized by love? And instead of going to kill people, would have gone to love people. Because men, here's the thing. The conviction, the next step I want you to take today is this. Would you make a decision to reject passivity? And would you ask Jesus 
to radicalize you by love. I remember praying for Craig many times. Lord, I pray you bring him back home. He's got three kids. Lord, he's gonna be somewhere where probably people are gonna threaten his life. Would you bring him home? And when he died, the one piece that God gave me was this. Sean, I gave Craig life and it's mine to take. No man will take his life. I will take his life. And I wanna tell you, man, there's something greater to live for. It comes from conviction. Are you willing to let Jesus radicalize you by love? Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.